Well, we're going to be in um, chapter 8 of Romans this morning. So if you have a Bible, open up to chapter 8. If you don't, these folks in the back with a stack of Bibles will give you one. Just raise your hand. Right over here, you walked right by him. He was, he was like screaming for a Bible back there. John, look at that. Oh, Keith got it. There we go. All right. All right. Romans chapter 8. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to keep that one. All right, Romans chapter 8. Now, before I have you stand for the reading of the word, up oh, over here. You missed it, Tim. I saw her raise her hand all the way from here. You missed it. Oh, and by the way, Monday, we, uh, we go national on radio. Uh, 11 stations, 16 states. We started on KDAR, 3 o'clock uh, every day, five days a week. Um, uh, so that's 98.3 here locally. We started on Monday, but we're going national starting tomorrow. So it's very exciting. So if you laugh loudly, you'll be on the radio. Okay, good. Amen. (laughs) Um, So before we stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, I I wanted to share with you, uh, going through this passage of scripture was a great blessing to me this week. I've I've witnessed at 51 years of age this week one of the greatest miracles, and I, I can't go into great detail in relation to it, but it was in direct correlation with what we studied last week and the concept of justification. And we know that we've been studying this idea that justification just as if I'd never sinned, that God casts our sin as far as east is from the west to be remembered no more. But the part that has really been resonating with me is that not only is it just as if we'd never sinned, but, but everything we've done is right. Meaning, in God's economy, when we give our lives to him, he works all things together for good with those who love him and are called according to his purpose. He redeems it. He redeems our mistakes and makes them right. How he does it, I don't know. But I can go after testimony and testimony and testimony to show you the the power of that. Witnessing it this week. Now, the only thing that we struggle with as Christians, grasping that concept, is our conscience. That God forgets. He casts it as far as east is from the west to be remembered no more. But we keep remembering. And that's why we saw last week this idea, who will deliver me from this body of death, O wretched man that I am. And we saw the picture of the king that if you had committed murder, he would take the corpse and tie it to you. And you have to walk around with this rotting body on you. And, and, and being reminded of what you did and having to live with the guilt and the shame. And what the Lord does, he comes, he cuts off that. He delivers you from that body of death. He cleanses you of all unrighteousness. And you're a new creature in Christ. The old is past and new comes. Forgetting what is behind, striving for what is ahead. This is the power of justification. Now with that, we as Christians um, are, are also fallen creatures. We have a sin nature. And we think about that. And we go, wait a minute. You mean that God forgives me of my sin, cast as far as east is from the west. I've got my get out of hell free card. He is in place in the Father's hand. No man can remove. Uh, it's, it, God says, um, I've, uh, he who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. I've told you this so that you may know you have eternal life. And you can't lose it because if you could lose it, it wouldn't be eternal, right? Both services, everyone just looked at me like deer caught in headlights. Think about it. You can't lose it if it's eternal, And so we go, wow, we've got our get out of hell free card. So we remember the questions Paul asked. Then does that mean I get to continue in sin so that grace may abound? I mean, everything I do is right. And Paul says, certainly not. That's not the idea. The idea is to walk in the life that he has ordered for us, walking in the spirit, not in the flesh. 
There's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And so we saw that in the first four verses of Romans 8. But today, we're going to come across something pretty intense. And it's simply this, that as Christians, we get to a place where we slip in our Christian walk. And, and we become carnal. We don't walk according to the Spirit. We've got to get out of a free card. But we just start operating in habitual sin. And then we become gossipy, and we're divisive, and we're bitter. We harbor things. We don't forgive. And it creates a mess. And it creates division in the body. And, and that happens with everybody. At any moment, we can be a wolf or a sheep, depending on where we're walking with the Lord. We can be either used to edify the body of Christ or to destroy and to break down the body of Christ. And Paul wants to address that. And he does that in this passage in a very profound way that all of us will be deeply touched by today, I believe. I know it touched my heart and I know it did first service. So let's stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. We're going to pick up uh, verse 1 of chapter 8. The Apostle Paul writing by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, and he condemns sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now, a lot of us are going, okay, this is a distinction between Christians and non-Christians, those who walk in the spirit, and then the carnal non-believer. No. Look at verse 12. Therefore who? Let's try that again. Therefore who? He's talking to believers, carnal believers. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God, or daughters of God, for the ladies. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba means Papa, Daddy. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. And not just heirs of God, but joint heirs with Christ, meaning everything he gets, we get. Everything he has, we have. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Let's pray. Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word. God, as we come to this understanding of, of if we live according to the flesh, we die, but if we live according to the spirit, 
We put to death the deeds of the body. We live. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Lord, help us to understand this and apply it in our lives. I pray, God, that you would take it and Holy Spirit, you would lead us into all truth. Encourage and strengthen the body of Christ this day, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have a seat. This week, I, um, I got a phone call from a candidate who's running for office in our county. And he called and he asked if I'd endorse him. And I said, uh, I've already endorsed your opponent. <laughs> nice man, really like him. But I believe that his opponent would be a better public servant. And this man has a great track record. There's, there's nothing that he's done that disqualifies him from office. It was just a choice and a decision I made. And in addition, the, the person that I am endorsing is somebody that I uh, just have seen and connected with and people that I, I admire all believe the same way. I think they have the greatest chance of winning. Well, this person began to try to change my mind and uh, talking about how they've been... Um, maligned and and how the party hasn't been kind to them and the things that they've done and 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 how you're aligning with people who haven't you know and, and on and on and on and there was a bitterness in his voice and um and as they started to say about the party and how they've mistreated me and on and on, i said i get it i went through the same thing in the assembly race i said but your attitude is caustic and you're upset with people and you're harboring a grudge. And in politics, you win by addition and multiplication, not division and subtraction. Same in the body of Christ. And, and my comment was, you're burning bridges and you're angry. And that doesn't do anything for our community. People aren't enemies, they're opportunities. You want to reach them. You be kind to those who spitefully use you. You do good things to your enemies. You, you work in that capacity. Don't harbor a bitterness. Don't build this animosity because they're members of our community and all it does is destroy our community. And I said, and by the way, if, if you beat this person in the primary, it's a jungle primary, I'll, I'll endorse you. I'll support you. But may the best person win. Run in such a way as to win. Don't be bitter. And their comment was, I'm a Christian and I, I just, no, 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 no. But the anger was divisive. And destructive. And I was, I, I was turned off by it. I was saddened by it. I didn't expect that. And I share that because all of us are prone to it when we don't get our way and we don't get the answer we want. We tend to defend ourselves. We tend to shore up our defenses and we try to, to you know, make them the enemy. And, and that's not what God intends. God says, endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. It's easy for us to get in the flesh when we don't get the answer we're looking for especially when God says no to us. We tend to get upset about it and we get embittered. Well, that happened on the phone call and, and I tried to mend that and I wasn't angry. I just tried to share that this isn't gonna serve you well. And the more I thought about it as we were going through the passage of scripture, this idea of to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. The carnal mind is at enmity with God. The apostle Paul takes time to break this down for believers. He's speaking to the church at Rome. He said, you've got folks in the church who are divisive. 
They're carnally minded. Some of the passages that I'm going to read to you in a moment are all dealing with the carnal mind. Carnal means temporal. Carnal means fleshly. Carnal means selfish. And one author defines it. He says, Be aware that the desire of the flesh is to be religious in a manner acceptable to the world and to, the, to, con, to its conduct in doing business along the principles of the world. Flesh is not a believer's friend. As many has been lulled into thinking, into that thinking, but in fact, the flesh is our enemy. Nothing has contributed more to the present weakness of the church than a failure to understand the nature and character of the flesh. The primary characteristic of the flesh is that it is self-serving. It is God's life misused. It happens in the church all the time. It can have all the outward appearance of the life of God, loving, working, forgiving, creating, serving, but with an inward motive that is aimed always and solely at the advancement of self. It thus becomes the rival of God, another God. This is why fallen human beings working in the energy of the flesh can do many good deeds, good in the eyes of themselves and others around them, but God does not see them as good. He looks on the heart and not on the outward appearance. Therefore, He knows they are tainted right from the start. You see, we think we're pulling it off, but the Bible says all things are laid bare before the eyes of God. We think purity, sexual purity in our young people, is the absence of an act. But truly, purity is a condition of the heart. You can abstain from an act and still not be pure because it's an idol to you in the sense that you're doing it to elevate yourself above others and carrying yourself with an air of superiority. That's just as dangerous. Purity before the Lord is submission to him and a desire to do the purpose of God and to yield to him. When the scriptures go on to define this idea of the flesh or carnal mind, uh, John writes in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and listen to this, for all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, or excuse me, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The lust of the eyes, what you see, the lust of the flesh, what you desire, what you want, and the boastful pride of life, elevating yourself. It's all about you. It's all about me. This is a problem. These are the three things that Satan knows how to tempt mankind and to pull them out of the will of God. We all struggle with it. We all tend to elevate ourselves and make it all about us. We get embittered and we get frustrated. And what ends up happening is we become carnally minded. And when we're carnally minded, destruction follows. Paul writes in the latter portion of Romans chapter 16, he says, Now I urge you, brethren, speaking to Christians, I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by smooth words and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the simple. You see, what happens is, you come into a church, and you look like a Christian, and you probably are a Christian. But you're carnally minded. And you operate in the church taking advantage of relationships. The Bible says the Christian love hopes all things. And so people give you the benefit of the doubt 
but yet you're finagling and operating in such a way to get what you want and you're using people to do it. And the church is one of the best places in the world to take advantage of others. And what happens is they're serving their belly, they're serving their flesh and they create division because people all of a sudden start to realize because the Bible says your sins will find you out. It doesn't take long for people to realize they're a gossiper. They're a slanderer. They're not nice. 90% of what they're saying is true, but 10% is a lie, and it's subtly slipped in there, and it it, it creates doubt, and it creates confusion, and and the body of Christ starts to break down. You see, selfishness is like a cancer. A cancer is a single cell that begins to devour the other cells and makes a mass of itself until the host dies. And all it's consumed with is itself. That's what happens in the body of Christ. The Lord says, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, be a servant of all. Greater love has no man than this and to lay down his life for a friend. We get to a place where we're self-centered and self-focused and we're offended. And so we begin to try to divide and build, you know, strength for our cause and, and destruction begins to occur in the body of Christ. One of the greatest destructive factors in families and also churches is the breakdown of interpersonal relationships done by deceit and selfishness. Well, Paul saw that and he wrote to the church at Rome. He says, mark those who cause division. They know who they are. They know what they're doing. They prey on the simple-minded, these hearts that are sincere and simple and they're on the fringe and they're coming into Christ and they're just starting their walk. But this person is savvy. They've been in the church a while and they know how to, how to you know, pull these people to their side and, and, and spread slander and destroy lives in the process. Breaks down the body, hurts people. And the Bible says, again, your sins will find you out. And Proverbs 13, 15 says, good understanding gains favor, but the way of the transgressor is hard. After a while, you got to remember the lies that you were saying and you got to keep track of all of them. And all of a sudden people start to see you for who you are and you can't stay in that church any longer, so you leave. And then you go work your trade in another church. And as the pastors in the community start to get unified in our fellowships, and the longer we're here, the more we start to see it. And, and, and yet, the people who are most guilty of it, I'm going to point them out today. You're looking at me and I'm looking at you and we're all guilty. At any moment, we're capable of that. Every one of us has this ability and many of us have fallen prey to it. You engage in a conversation where you're neither the solution nor the problem, but you step yourself into the middle of it and you create more of a problem and no solution. Well, this is what Paul is addressing, this idea of being carnally minded. He says, and it comes in the, in the, in the form of three things, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. Fascinating because in this passage of scripture, uh, in Genesis chapter three, we see this laid out. And this is how it works. This is how we as Christians are susceptible to it. In chapter three of Genesis, we see the fall of man where it all, all hell broke loose. It starts with verse one. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, Satan. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So he's questioning God's word and Eve is listening to him. And you know who's absent is Adam. And God had made a commandment to Adam to protect the garden. 
and to stand vigilance. And he wasn't there when his wife was being tempted. And the woman said to the serpent, quoting God, she said, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat, nor shall you touch it lest you die. She misquotes the Lord. God never said you couldn't touch it. He just said you couldn't eat it. So she isn't grounded in the word and she's struggling with it. And this is what happens. Satan's job is to cause us to doubt God's truthfulness and his word, to doubt God and to take matters into our own hands. That's where we then take control of our life and we sit on the throne of our life and that's when division and destruction and envy and striving and strife all come from. Watch what happens in this. Verse four, the serpent said to the woman, you won't die. You won't surely die. Questioning God's word and causing her to question God's word. Well, that's the subtlety of the enemy. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. God's holding back from you. God's holding back from you. The church is holding back from you. You, you deserve this. You're, you shouldn't be treated like that. You don't need to be going through these trials. You don't need to be going through these heartaches. God's holding back from you. Satan is always ready to say, yes, yes, you deserve to invest yourself. You, in, you deserve to indulge yourself. And the subtle lie of the enemy. And then some participate in that. And they start to encourage you to fall. And so appealing to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life, Satan puts this temptation in the heart of Eve and says, you won't die. God knows in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You'll have more control. You'll be the captain of your ship. I did it my way. That's, you're going to be there. And then verse six, the woman saw that the tree was good, lust of the eyes, and it was good for food, lust of the flesh, pleasant to the eyes, and the, and the tree was desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and she ate it. What did she do? She disobeyed God. She took matters into her own hands. She didn't want to wait. She wanted to know more. She didn't want God to be holding anything back from her. She doubted the Lord. She also gave to her husband with her. And he ate. Well, here's a problem. Relationships can become an idol. Marriage can become an idol. I, we're just going to do a marriage seminar. And it's going to be three days. It's going to be awesome. We've got all kinds of books and we're just going to study it. And we're going to have communication seminars and we're going to spend all time. We're going to teach you all the different ways to love one another and to do active listening and all the special things. And I've been to 20 seminars this week. And I just love all of them. I've read books and books and books. My husband does little things. And he writes notes and, you know, and he's saying, well, my wife, you know, she always does little things on my lunch bag. And uh, Okay, that's great. I don't do it. Like, hey, honey, anything? No, nothing to eat today. Okay, 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 okay. Any dinner? No dinner, no dinner. Okay, okay, okay. We're just passing each other. Hey, hi, woo. What kind of a marriage do they have? <laughs> Probably like yours. Kids screaming everywhere, you know. Ladies, when you get home, you want to make sure that you're just dressed up for your husband. You want to just to... You walk through the door like, what? You know what kind of day I've had? You know? Husband walks through, ah, yeah, yeah. Well, this just isn't Christian. I just don't see this. You tend to idolize marriage. And what does the Apostle Paul say in Corinthians? He says, if a man is married, he should act as though he weren't. 
What he's saying is, don't worship marriage, worship the Lord. Give your heart wholeheartedly to God. Your wife will be challenged as you pursue him. It doesn't mean be unloving or neglect. It means don't let the marriage relationship take precedent over your relationship with the Lord. That's the scriptures. That's what he's declaring. This idea of being fervently, wholeheartedly for the Lord. In marriage, we think it's a 50-50 proposition. It's not 50-50. It's you die to Christ and, and he gives you this heart for your spouse. Here's the Lord up here, husband and wife down here. As they pursue the Lord, their intimacy becomes closer. That's the secret. Fall in love with the Lord. It makes a great spouse. And yet we worship marriage. And here, this is a perfect example of it. Eve eats of the apple or the fruit or whatever it was. She eats of it and she hands it out to her husband. Now at that point, he could have said, whoa, woman. That means I want to be separated from God for all eternity. I ain't doing that. I love the Lord. Well, we won't be able to spend, and we're going to be distant, and he distant, and I, mm. he's like, she's fine. <laughs> okay, bring it on over. <laughs> actually, actually, the most godly thing that he could have done was to not eat the apple, turn to God and say, may her sin be upon me. Lord, take my life that she might live. Instead, he goes, I don't want to lose her. Give me the apple. And they both got to die. Stepped out of obedience to the Lord. Now watch what happens here. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were open. Satan always, he has about 95% truth with 5% lie. Hey, our eyes are open. He said it would happen this way. We know good and evil. Their eyes are open. And they knew that they were naked. They didn't realize that before. There was no guile. There, there was any shame. And they realized we're, we're naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. <laughs> I can't think of a plant more weird. And certain, when I was in Fresno, some of the fig leaves, I mean, the shape of them, I could see how they fit the private parts and all that. I, but I, I'm looking at... I'm, I'm looking at these fig leaves and they're, they're, they got like little pinpricks on the back. They're painful. And they're, they sewed them. How do you sew leaves? You're like, Mm-mm. you're just walking around. I'm camouflaged. Nobody can see me. They were trying to hide. I want to be like the trees. God can't see me. They can't see me. It was obnoxious. And they, they were sewing fig leaves together. And this is what happens when you sin. You try to hide. You try to cover it up. And you you think God doesn't see you. Actually, you know he sees you. You could care less. You're trying to fool everybody else in the church as you weasel your way in with all the blessings without any of the responsibilities. It starts to destroy everything around you. Well, at this moment, as they're trying to sew together fig leaves to hide and camouflage themselves from God, verse 8 They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, which is the Ruach, the Spirit of God. God's Spirit was present, and they fled from His Spirit because they were carnally minded. Ruach, cool of the day, Spirit of God. And they begin to hide from Him. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees in the garden. You can go to the highest mountain or the depths of the sea, and you're not hiding from God. 
And they're hiding from him. And I love this. The Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Because at that moment, God went completely blind. I'm kidding. He's, he's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He sees everything. He's not like, hey, where'd you guys go? You are so good at this. Hide and... It's like little kids playing hide and seek. You know, little three-year-olds. Okay, go. You go hide. They go, okay. And they think you can't see them because they're covering their eyes. It's cute, but it's stupid. That was Adam and Eve. Adam, Eve, where are you? Why was he asking? He was asking because he wanted them to confess their sin. They didn't want to confess their sin. They wanted to hide from God and camouflage themselves and still receive the benefit of God's presence without obedience to his commandments. Where are you? Where are you? And then Adam says, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Were you ever naked before? Well, yes. Did you have to hide then? No. Are you seeing any connection here as to why you're hiding? No. No? Why? My wife, when she was younger, every Christmas, and I was always wondering what this was, every Christmas they give my wife a box of chocolate-covered cherries. Maraschino cherries, chocolate-covered. Every year. We've been married, we'll be 26 years this year. Every year, a box of cherries. She never eats them. She hates them. They're disgusting. But the reason why they give them to her, and it's a very cruel family. It really is. I stayed with them because... I'm a servant. <laughs> she, she opened, when she was four years old, she opened a box of maraschino cherries, hid behind the Christmas tree, and ate them all. Chocolate all over her face, all over her hands, cherry juice dripping down her clothes. They said, did you eat the cherries? Mm-mm. No George Washington there, if you know what I'm saying. Mm-mm. So every year they go, oh, I want to remind you of your sin. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the Lord asking them, where are you? Where, did, did you eat the cherries? Mm-mm. Adam, do you know why you're scared and why you're hiding? You never used to hide before. Do you want to tell me why? Did you eat the cherries? Did you eat the cherries? Did you? <laughs> Giving him a chance to repent. Why? God says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And we can start walking in the spirit as opposed to the flesh. We can unite with his ruach, his spirit, and enjoy the cool of the garden and enjoy his presence. But we'd rather hide our sin with fig leaves and and whatever other stupidity behind the Christmas tree with chocolate all over our face. And he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid and I was naked and I hid myself. Verse 11, and he said, God said, who told you that you were naked? And then he goes, obviously, you're not catching on here, son. He says, all right, ready? We're going to call for the question. Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded that you should not eat? Let's just get to the, let's cut to the chase. Did you do what I told you not to do? Um, mm. Now watch what his response is. Watch what his response is. Because I find this as a pastor in the church. 
This is, this is an application of what they call Matthew 18. If you have a wayward brother who's in, in sin and, and you're a witness of it and it's affected you and you go and you confront that brother to win them or that sister to win them back into walking in the spirit and you say, look, this is what you're doing and it's really, it's hurtful. It's causing pain in the body of Christ. I wanted to call you to account and, and they go, I, I don't know what you're talking about. All those things, that never happened. Then the scripture says, bring two or three witnesses. Hem them in, just like God's doing with Adam. Well, you got chocolate on your face. Uh, you said you need the cherries. They're all over your fingers. It's dripping down your clothes. You were hiding back there. The box is open. Nobody's ever touched it. And, and well, I didn't do it. Well, people saw you take the box, saw you eating from the box. And we're going to bring them. And they sit down. They go, we saw you eating. No, I, I, I didn't. No, I don't know what you're talking about. I never did anything. Like that. Then you bring the elders of the church. And you go, look, you don't want to walk in the spirit. You're just here to, to make a game of it. You do better to go somewhere else than here because it's just destructive to the body. You're a cancer. And God says at this point, he just gets him right in the corner and he says, did you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Did you do what I told you not to do? Just tell me. Watch what he does. He goes, it was her fault. <laughs> that woman, you, no, you know what? That woman you gave me, it's, it's your fault. You gave me the woman and then, and then she participated with you to make my life a living hell. She gave me of the tree and I ate. It wasn't my fault. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? Apparently Adam thinks that you did it. What is this you've done? She goes, mm, it was the serpent. He did it. And then I ate. It wasn't my fault. It was his See, everybody in the room is caught, stone cold busted. And you can trick me with your fig leaves and I can probably trick you with mine. But you're not fooling God and you're destroying the body. We destroy the body when we don't confess. When we have subtle lies and we begin to continue with the lies. And you know what it does? It weaves everyone else in on it. And it brings in people who, who don't even know why. And you, you pray on the simple-minded because love hopes all things, and you tell them some sort of gimmick, and they're into it. Now the, the church is divided, and, 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 and gossip, and slander, and backbiting. It's awful. And the cancer grows, and people are hurt. And it's not good. It's not good in politics. It's not good for candidates. And it's not good in our community, and it should never even exist in the church. We should, we should hunger and thirst for righteousness and to walk according to the Spirit and not be carnally minded, not be liars and deceivers and supplanters. And yet when confronted with sin, all we got to do is confess it. And you say those three words, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Fascinatingly enough, Every one of the temptations fell prey in Genesis 3. And then I'm going to close with this picture. In Luke 4, Jesus was tempted by the devil with all three of those, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, boastful pride of life. And every time that Satan came to him with that temptation, he didn't lie, he didn't do anything. You know what he said? It is written. It is written. It is written. He combated the temptation by abiding in the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, Scripture. He walked according to the spirit, not according to the flesh. 
He didn't misquote the word of God. He stood upon the word of God. He obeyed the word of God and he withstood the temptation. They dealt with a temptation in a luscious garden with only one rule and every other tree was open to them except for one. Jesus withstood the temptation in a wilderness having been starved for 40 days without food and water by the devil himself. And he was on the verge of dying and he still walked according to the spirit. Now that's important for all of us to understand because he's our strength. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the apostle Paul writes, he says, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal. He's talking to the church. He says, as to babes in Christ, I fed you milk and not with solid food for until now you were not able to receive it and even now are still not able for you're still carnal. For where there is envy and strife and division among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men, just like the outside in the community? For one says, I'm of Paul, and the other says, I'm of Apollos, and, and I'm reformed, and I'm a biblicist, and I'm an Arminianist. You, you divide the body of Christ through subtlety. Who then is Paul? Who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believe, as the Lord God gave to each one. <laughs> and what's fascinating is at the conclusion of Genesis 3, the scripture says, God says, this is the punishment. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And then James 4.4, 4, it just simply says, adulterers, adulterers, adulteresses, idolaters, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You know, if you want to be in charge of your life and operate in the context of being me-centered, self-centered, self-consumed. You're at enmity with God because there's only one person who deserves to sit on the throne of your life and that's the Lord. Galatians says, those who are Christ have, been, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Galatians six fourteen. but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. See, there's two things in a balanced approach that we walk in the Spirit. Number one, we walk by the Spirit, but two, we have to put to death the deeds of the flesh. You know how you put them to death? They're fungus. Just bring them into the light. Confess them. Let them die. When I went through a drug addiction and, and I, I, I went to my wife and I said, this is, this is where I get it. This is what I'm like when I'm on it. This is where I hide it. I brought it all into the light. Prior to that, I had fig leaves hiding it everywhere. You want to walk in the light? Confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us of sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We need to recognize the truth about ourselves and confess it and be honest about it. We need to recognize what God did for our sin and why it was such a costly price. We have to set our mind on the things of the Spirit. I'm, I'm out of time. I want to tell you one story and I'm finished. I'm sorry about spending too much time this morning. But this is important. When the Bible says that we're joint heirs with Christ, in verse 17 of Romans 8, it's fascinating to me. My friend David Lane, and I love this story, and it, it was heartfelt and it's painful for him, I know. When he was a young boy, his daddy left him and his siblings, and left his mama. And they were in Oklahoma, and his daddy took off to find fame and fortune, self-centeredness, just 
devastated his family, left him in the dust. He got to Louisiana, got into the car dealership business and became the largest car dealer in Louisiana for GMC and Chevy, Hall of Fame. Jerry Lane, GMC, Chevy. He remarried the beauty queen from Louisiana and had a brother and a, he had a son and a daughter from this other woman, David Lane's half-sister and half-brother. One of David's uh, brothers died of, of abusive drugs. David Lane, with the pain of losing his daddy, became the wildest man that ever lived. And when he came to Christ, God started to do a work in his life, powerful work in his life. And I remember meeting David and Cindy back, I think, 06, maybe, 05. And, and coming to this realization, watching the drive in David Lane's life was a result of his father and the abandonment of his dad. And I told him one day, I said, you know, David, God blessed you with a father like that because it was a crucible to make you who you are. You would have never been the man you were had it not been for the dad you were given. That's God's economy. He works all things together for good. He's redeemed it. And David forgave his father. And his daddy was dying. And David went to go see him. And we went to go see him. He was at his deathbed. And David had the privilege of leading, leading him to the Lord. And in the will, he left David nothing and left it to the half-sister and the half-brother. And David looked, not in bitterness, but he looked at his dad on his deathbed after he led him to the Lord. And he says, Dad, what can I do for you? How can I help you? He said, son, we have a good name. Would you carry that on? He said, sure, Dad, I will. David Lane has blessed this country in a lot of ways. And what was powerful about that is he wasn't bitter. He wasn't bitter. God used it in his life. You see, for Jerry Lane... His two kids from his second wife were the heirs. David Lane got nothing, bubkiss. In God's economy, not only are you children and heirs with God, but you are joint heirs with Christ. What he has, we have. We're all in. It's a family that needs to be protected. We don't divide it. We don't gossip about it. We don't slander one another. And then when it says that the Spirit bears witness with our spirit, that we are heirs, we're children. And I love verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, Papa, Daddy. When Paul writes that you didn't receive a spirit, a, a, a spirit of bondage again to fear, this is, this is the last thing. When God doesn't do what you want you get scared and you're wondering where he is and why he's taking so long and this is part of the miracle that I've experienced this week with a young man that I've been blown away by waiting on the Lord and God said no and it was crushing to him and he said it's okay I want what God wants I've watched him powerful and profound God didn't give us a spirit of bondage to fear. We get scared. And the Lord said, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I remember 
vacation Bible school one summer when we were over at Skyline. Little 11-year-old girl. She was lost in the crowd of kids. They were all orphans from Russia. Somehow, my girls got eye on her, started to befriend her, and their hearts were touched. And just see the hurt in her eyes and the confusion. She didn't speak any English. And the Lord spoke to me and Michelle and said, adopt her. And the fear, the whispering, you don't want to adopt one of those Russian kids. Those orphanages are a wreck. They're going to have health issues. They go psycho when they get older. Stay away. I would adopt locally. Go through an agency. It's too expensive. And, and besides, you've got four good kids. Why do you want to screw it up with some sort of a train wreck? Because God said so. And we did. It was hard. And there were days you just wondered and you wanted to take the reins back. Remember, she was compliant. She learned how to do that in the orphanage. She knew how to sew fig leaves together and lie. But when you live in a home that's transparent, that honors the truth, your world gets real small, real quick. And it was hard on Natasha. And by the age of 17, she'd had enough and she just went off the deep end. I don't get this Christianity. I don't understand all this. I don't understand the transparency. I'm not used to this. And she was finished with it. And it was like this valve opened up that was just a, a, a rusty valve that finally opened and sewage poured out. And you just started to hear of all the misery of her life. Uh, an aunt that was a prostitute, a grandma who was a drunk that burned the house down. Uh, horrible things that happened in the orphanage. I can't even go into detail. It's vile. And her world got rocked. And she was scared. And she couldn't live in transparency. In a bondage to fear, she ran. She left our home, and the day she left, and she says this in her testimony, and it blesses me. She said, my dad came to me as I was getting into the car, and he just said, sweetie, if you find anything better than Jesus out there, you've got to come tell us. And off she went. Year and a half. I was prone to bondage of fear and scared for her life. A lot of tears and prayers. Just saying, Papa, Abba Father, Papa, Daddy, hold her. I don't know where she is tonight. I don't know what's going on, Lord, but take care of her. My heart would settle and I'd sleep. And one day she called and she said, dad, I need to borrow money. I said, I can't give you any. God said, no. And then the, the conversation ended and I didn't hear from her for a week and her phone went dead and I thought I'd lost her. And the fear began to creep back in. I just said, Papa, daddy, you love her more than I do. Take care of her. Help her, God. And all the doubts and the fears and the struggles. And then she called and she says, Daddy, I want to come home. I said, okay, kiddo. You come on home. She came home and I said, sweetie, you've been so into the carnal life. 
and you were struggling when you left and you've been, you've been feeding it while you've been gone. I said, sweetie, you need to reformat this. You need to walk according to the spirit. You need to get the word of God deeply into you. You need to be discipled. Why don't you do the, the teen challenge discipleship course? She says, I want that. This week, Michelle and I got a letter from her. She said, you know, mom and dad, January 6th would roll around every year. and My heart would be broken and I'd go into a bondage of fear because that was my biological father's birthday. And the voice in my head would be, why did he leave me? Why didn't he love me? Me. And then it would send her into this tailspin of, of taking the reins and riding this into death and destroying relationships and destroying her life and her health. To walk carnally is death. And she said, but I've been here. And God's voice, walking according to the spirit, I just want to tell you that you're my family. You're my daddy. You're my mama. I'm home. I'm okay. God wants us to let go of the reins and trust him. It's Papa. You just tell him you love him and hold on to him and cling to him. Don't operate by fear. He's redeemed your life and the beauty of it is God spared no expense to redeem you and deliver you. His son Jesus willingly went to the cross because he loved you and me while we were at enmity with him. And all we do is we confess and we die to ourselves. He cleanses us of all unrighteousness. And this is a gift. His body broken, his blood shed. We're cleansed. We're new creatures in Christ. This is the power of Romans 8. This is adoption. This isn't fear. This is love. And God calls you to the table to put aside all your carnal, divisive, gossipy, fig leaf sown silliness confess it and go out that door and live it John 10 10 I've come that you might have life and life more abundant and that comes by walking in accordance with the spirit and we're going to do that today as we come to the table together thanks for enduring the length of the message but I had to get that out let's pray Lord thank you for your word and I thank you that we're joint heirs with Christ and I thank you that you long that we wouldn't walk according to the flesh and die, but we would walk by the Spirit and put to death the deeds of the body so that we might live. And Lord, I thank you that Eve and Adam were beguiled and deceived by words, but today we've been redeemed by the same power of the living Word of God, the true Word of God, not the lies of the enemy. And we've been called to this table of redemption. And I pray that as the folks in the room come, that they recognize that not only are you God of the universe, but you are our Papa. And we can be honest with you. You already know it. And we just confess it. You cleanse us and we move on. And we walk according to the spirit, not the deceit of the flesh. Lord, I pray for healing in the body of Christ, power of forgiveness to touch every life. Bless our time now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.